iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening and welcome to the Apple Store Soho for tonight's special event. Uh, we're really glad you can make it. Tonight's event is a Meet the Filmmaker event where we bring you up close and personal with some of today's top filmmakers. Uh, if you go on iTunes and search for Meet the Filmmaker, you'll find a really exciting podcast which will include tonight's event probably in just a few days or so. Uh, there you can download and subscribe to Meet the Filmmaker, and every time new events are added, they'll be downloaded directly to iTunes. World's Greatest Dad is a story about a man that learns the things you want most may not be the things that make you happy, and that being lonely is not necessarily the same as being alone. Uh, before we introduce tonight's special guests, please enjoy the trailer for World's Greatest Dad. Negro, I may be young, but I'm not your boy. I won't pick your cotton or pick up your dishes. Yeah, I sing. I am not your monkey. I don't. Stay black, y'all. Anybody else have their haiku? My name is Lance Clayton. I'm a writer. But so far, nothing I've written has ever been published. Ernest Hemingway once said, all he wanted to do was write one true sentence. He also tried to scratch an itch in the back of his head with a shotgun. Your poetry course is not very popular. <laughs> There's poetry, sir. Does it bother you that I have male friends? Mm, not at all. Why don't we do something together tomorrow? Yeah, like build a rocket? Sure, if you want to. That's retarded. Yeah. Just 9.30, we can go to a video store, get a movie. Are you stupid? I hate watching movies. Kyle's a complex guy. Put on some music you like, Kyle, okay? No, I hate music. You hate music? Yeah. All music? You no, know, the only thing queer than music are the people who like it. How's Kyle been acting at home? Are you on your period or something? Does he seem normal to you? Oh, yeah. We're not to dinner tonight with Claire. What? No. If you don't act right at dinner, I'll stab you in the face. So, what do you like to do, Kyle? Nothing. You must like to do something. No. Well, Kyle doesn't like me. Oh, no. He likes you a lot. You don't look so good. Well, I had kind of a rough weekend. Kyle, you ruin everything. Will you just shut up? They're not kidding when they say that raising a child is the toughest job you'll ever learn. Was a zombie. I wish I like zombies. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, please join me in welcoming writer director of World's Greatest Dad, Bobcat Goldthwait, and moderating tonight's event from Movie Line, Stu Van Arsdale. Well, hello. Um, there was an announcement made about not recording and all that stuff, but um, if you're so inclined and want a picture with me afterwards, I I'd be willing to do that. 
or not. <laughs> the line forms to yeah. your right. No, it just seems like it sounds like a very uh, don't take a picture and, and shut up and you're gonna like this now. Now eat it and buy it. Good night. Um, well, on that note, welcome. <laughs> Hi. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Fantastic. My first impression I was invited to speak with you here was how difficult a film this would be to talk about because of the uh, story and some of the you know surprises, some of the twists in it. And, and then yesterday I read the New York Times and it's there, you know. And, uh, and they gave out the, <laughs> the twist. Yeah, so how do you feel about that? Um, it doesn't bother me when, when, uh, when the events that happen in the movie are revealed. I, I truly, I'm not like, it's not like a marketing ploy that I don't want people to know. It, you know, it's just that I almost feel like this trailer that we just saw, the G-rated one, is kind of a disservice, but I really hope that makes families go to the movie accidentally. Um, uh, I think if a dad takes his kids there, a divorced dad, he probably would lose the kids in a settlement. Um, it is a very R-rated movie, and it's kind of hard to promote, certainly in a, a public forum, but um, the, uh, when the events are revealed in the movie, it just, I, I would prefer it didn't just so people have a good time when they watch the movie. It's not like uh, myself or Magnolia is trying to pull a Marley in me, you know, where you go, what? The dog dies. Um, Bobcat Night Shyamalan. <laughs> no, like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't reveal yeah. the twist. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know, uh, your previous film also had that kind of aspect to it. There was a bit of a surprise in there and, and something you don't want to know about before you go in. So what is that appeal? What about that appeals to you as a, as a filmmaker? Just coincidence or is that? Well, yeah, the other movie was called um, Sleeping Dogs Lie and it was called Stay When Is That Sundance. And um, it was a romantic comedy with a, a tiny, tasteful bit of uh, bestiality in it. And, um, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, I, and I think like what I enjoy uh, or I hope to do is I kind of like the awkward comedy and I like to, uh, much like my stand-up, kind of dig a hole for myself to try to get out of or put myself in a hole and try to dig myself out of. Yeah, you really do navigate that terrain uh, between just kind of straightforward drama, really, and just pitch black comedy and you've been navigating that for a while I guess how does this kind of advance your study of that uh, well this movie was different than the last one because the last one I shot in two weeks with a crew from Craigslist and um, this one because Robin was involved I got to shoot it on film and uh, and shot it in like five weeks you know it's funny because he was like how long is it going to take to make this movie? Is it going to be like eight, nine weeks? I was like, well, if I was shooting Lawrence of Arabia, maybe, but um, we're going to move pretty fast. But I, I hope that as I keep making movies, if I can keep making indie, small indie movies, that I'm, I'm trying my best to get better at it, you know? Well, yeah, it's working. Uh, talk about Robin uh, in this role and how you uh, wound up casting him and I guess kind of... Uh, warmed him up to this kind of role. Well, well, Robin is one of my oldest friends and... Um, he uh, he really liked the last movie a lot, and we were at dinner, and I was just telling him about this story, and he asked if he could read it, and then he said, could I be in it, which all was really strange, because I wasn't trying to pimp him that night at dinner. Um, I think, it, like, clearly if I was going to write a movie for Robin Williams, I, I wouldn't make him a, a poetry teacher that faces tragedy, because I think he's already handled that pretty well. Um, nor would I have him land in an egg at the beginning of the movie. Um, <laughs> 
So, uh, but you know, he is used to doing kind of the, the bigger projects. And so, I mean, is there an ad adaptation to, you know, for both sides? Because you're working on a little bit more luxurious schedule. Yeah, for me. <laughs> and he's working on something a little tighter for him. So I guess, how do you guys meet in the middle, especially as long as you've known each other? Well, you know, it's, um, it is, you know, I guess it's a nice compliment. It meant that he believed in the project, you know, and that's why he lent his name to it and stuff. But, um, you know, the funny thing is, 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 in this movie, in the last movie, and the, the other movies I made, um, I always work with my friends, and, and, and about 80, 90 percent of them are, are comedians or, or, or comedians that I've known. And um, the only difference is that he's a friend, and he's uh, one of the biggest uh, <laughs> stars in the world, and then my other friends aren't that well known. But I don't put all my friends in. I have friends who have no talent. I don't put them in. Why not? Because um, they would... I mean because it's already a big hurdle to get past that Bobcat Goldthwait made a movie. <laughs> oh, put them all in there. Uh, like a, so, but you also have uh, you know, Daryl Sabera in this film, who's kind of a revelation in a lot of ways, and we've seen him before in Spy Kids. But I mean, you know, talk about casting him in this role and uh, developing the relationship between him and Robin. Well, um, have any of you seen the movie? Because it's on VOD and it's been at film festivals. <laughs> okay, one person. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so Daryl... Uh, is that he was in Spy Kids, but I, I had no idea that he was in Spy Kids because uh, uh, it would be creepy if a middle-aged dude was watching Spy Kids. Um, so he came in and auditioned, and uh, he lied because there's a really sweet boy in this movie, and he lied and said that he was here for the Kyle role. And, um, and I go, and I knew he wasn't, and I knew he was lying, so I still wanted to see him audition. He was really good at being a real creep. And... Um, but I didn't know for sure if he was a nice guy. And I kept, kept studying the videotape of his audition because I was looking for little cracks in the veneer where I could see if he was a nice person. And uh, it was like the Zapruder film. I kept watching it over and over. I go, I think he smiled there. So um, I called people that had worked with him, and they were like, uh, oh, yeah, he's a real sweetheart. So it's really weird that now I have a friend who's 17, but um, he was 15 when we made the movie, and sometimes he's ad-libbing, you know, he's like, like, there's one line where he's talking about chili dogging, and I guess that means when you, I don't know how to say this in a store, uh, when you go number two on someone's chest. And, um, and I go, oh, thanks, you know, uh, I'll keep it in the movie. And I'm like, what are you up to, Daryl? And he's like, I just got my license. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get off the phone now. This is weird. I'm talking about pooping on somebody's chest with a teenager. I was worried that the feds might actually been on the other line. So, uh, by the way, can I say this? If you're talking to me on Twitter or MySpace or Facebook, that's not me because I'm 47 years old and I, I don't know who it is posing as me, but it really isn't. And I keep running into people who are mad that I, I don't even know what they're saying, but whatever. Like, the reason I'm not on, if you're my age and you're on uh, Twitter, you, the word for that is predator. <laughs> Give it a try. It's, it's actually kind of fun. Give it a try? Give I don't it a try. know. I don't think... I think it's just a... I know I shouldn't say this, but I think we're this the whole... Apple story, no? I think we're at the Apple store. I think this internet is just a phase. I don't think it's got legs. <laughs> By the way, we should... Genius bar, no drinking. <laughs> if any of you get rowdy, we're going to have a couple nerds come and talk to you. They don't bounce. They just assist. Right. Um, so... Uh, when you get Daryl on the set with Robin, I mean, this is, there's some pretty, like I said, bleak material in here, but it's also very funny. How do you uh, work with those guys to kind of cultivate that? Well, um, 
you know, the thing about like their performances was really like Daryl is like once I saw him doing the, uh, you know, his, his uh, audition, I knew that he was the kid. Like when he did it, it for me, it, it suddenly seemed like a real person instead of somebody I had written in my hotel room. And um, and Robin knew who the guy was right away. Really early on, Robin just said, oh, I get it. Uh, I'm just playing you and me. So um, I don't really worry about the comedy, you know. Um, I, I just hope it's funny. For me, the big challenge is see if I can actually make characters that are believable and, and will last the entire movie and that you're, you're, uh, you're rooting for. That, that's a harder challenge for me. All right. Well, we actually have a clip that explores all those dynamics uh, quite well. Yeah, and, so all you need to know is that uh, Kyle is just a really horrible, horrible person, and everybody in Robin's life really doesn't cut him any uh, slack, and Robin's character really needs to uh, grow up and grow some balls. All right. <laughs> Kyle, I'm in here. Uh, why do you always tip over this photo? Because I hate it. I look inbred. I think you look handsome. We're not to dinner tonight with Claire. What? No. No, we're not. Oh, come on. Well, I thought you were seeing Mr. Lane. No, no, they're just friends, and she's trying to help him out through a tough time. Why am I explaining this to you, Kyle? Dad, okay, look, it, it's bad enough being seen with a teacher who's a dad, but being seen with two teachers is AIDS. Okay, get dressed, put on something nice. If you don't act right at dinner, I'll stab you in the face. So, what do you like to do, Kyle? Nothing. Nothing? You must like to do something. No. Kyle just got a new monitor for his computer. So, what do you like to do on the computer? Oh, well, you know, it's funny you ask. I like games, mostly. Kyle, who are you texting? Andrew. Well, why don't you give it a break while reading, son? No, I can't do that. It's important. Put it away. <laughs> so, Kyle, do you have a girlfriend? I'm not going to talk to you about my personal affairs. Okay. <laughs> Watch out. You guys doing it? Yeah, all the time. Non-stop. I'm hurting right now. <laughs> well, <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> let's not make me throw up. <laughs> so do you play sports? No, no, I'm... I'm a big spaz like my dad. Well, I was on the dive team in college. Diving's not really a sport, it's falling. <laughs> All right, well, that's, uh, thanks. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's actually, uh, the actress there is Alexi Gilmore, and she was somebody that auditioned. Actually, her videotape came in from New York, and she had a cold, and... And she had snot coming out of her face. And um, I was like, oh, I really had to have her. So I really like the fact that um, Darko, the folks that produced the film, were comfortable with me hiring somebody, uh, you know, just off of their tape. And she didn't, you know, she's not well known. But she's a really great actress. And I'm really happy with her. Because, like, when she said, I'm, I'm hurting, that, that's an ad lib. And, uh, and uh, it's, I'm really happy about that. Because you see Robin just stay in character and he just kind of loses it. And it's all in the movie, you know. So um, both Daryl and her did a really good job of, of 
of not disappearing, I thought, because Robin's such an awesome actor. Let's back up a little bit, because you've been directing for almost 20 years now, but you had a big break in there, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how did you come to directing in the first place with Shakes the Clown? Well, I made a movie called Hot to Trot, and the director was such a jackass, I thought, well, I might as well give it a shot. And um, <laughs> that's pretty much, I went and made a short after that. And then um, I made my fine alcoholic clown movie, uh, Shakes the Clown. Uh, well, thank you. Sure, all right. <laughs> that's, that's more than how many people saw it. And, um, and so uh, after that, I didn't really get any work as a director. <laughs> and then uh, I, uh, I started directing videos and things like that. And then when uh, Jimmy Kimmel was a friend of mine, he, he got on the man show and he asked me, he liked shakes, and he asked me to come in and direct on the show. And so I used to direct a lot of segments on the man show, and then that led to... Uh, I worked on the, the Chappelle show a little, and then I directed on, um, oh, a movie called Windy City Heat for Kimmel that was on Comedy Central. And then after that, Jimmy had me direct his TV show, and I did that for like three years. I did, it was close to like 300 episodes of the Kimmel show. But, you know, ABC never promoted that fact because it's like, hey, you know the guy who's not allowed on other talk shows? Yeah, he directs ours. So um, they were always very low-key about that. Is that talk show band ever going to end? I mean, Conan is on the Tonight Show now. You've got to go back on Conan. Well, I don't, um, I never really got banned, but because uh, as soon as I set the Tonight Show on fire, um, uh, you know, the direct opposite thing happened. Like, people really uh, wanted me on their talk shows. I mean, even the most tame shows like, you know, Regis and Kathy Lee after I set the Tonight Show on fire. You know, I shot a fire extinguisher up Kathy Lee Gifford's skirt once, and that doesn't seem to get any press, but start one fire. Um... But uh, they're supposed to cancel each other out, or uh, yeah, because one was right, at least exactly. a, a flame retardant. Yeah. Hi, kids. How are you? I have a new movie called World's Greatest Dad. You should really check it out. You like Robin Williams? Um, so, uh, uh, we're, so, so while I was directing the Kimmel shows, when I wrote Sleeping Dogs Lie, and then we uh, 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 that much to my surprise got into Sundance, and then. Uh, then after that, I left the Kimmel show, and then I, I, I made this movie. So that's been what I've been doing. And, and, and if you're familiar with Kimmel and all of his uh, family, um, when I got a call from Sundance, I truly thought it was, um, I truly thought it was Jimmy's cousin calling me, you know, doing a prank phone call. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, Trevor Groth, well, let me call you back. <laughs> and then he's like, no, it really is Trevor Groth. So I almost fainted. Uh, well, um... I'm interested in knowing, though, because when Shakes was not so well received, you know, and then and you have to <laughs> don't candy coat it. You have to actually, you know, kind of get back on the horse. Right. I mean, to borrow the type cliche, I mean, you have to get back on the horse. You have to kind of figure out. You, you must have known, like, this is really what I want to do. How do you adapt from that and actually get into a routine where you you can do it professionally and and um, develop, I guess, like a craft after something like that. Well, I mean, I think like. You know, when I look at Shakes, I, I, I actually think um, I kind of wrote it with John Goodman in mind, and I really think it, it would have been a, a, probably a better movie. I, I, I just watched it recently with my daughter and a bunch of the people that were in Shakes, and it was at the, uh, in the L.A., and we were watching it in the middle of it. My daughter goes, Dad, you're a really bad actor. And I'm like, yeah, right, dude? And um, uh, so what happened was about five, six years ago, I kind of just stopped 
pursuing things that w- didn't make me happy, much like uh, Robin's character in the movie. I, I, uh, I started writing screenplays simply to write them, not even with the idea that maybe they would get made. And, and my girlfriend, Sarah Desirego, read the script for Sleeping Dogs Lie, and she goes, this is a really good movie. And I go, well, she goes, we should make it. I go, well, I don't have any money. And she goes, well, we'll just start and people will help. And, and that's how we made that one. Which, by the way, I'd like to say this. Um, you know, if you're not a fan of the movies I make and everything, I, I, I hope that still inspires you because the, that movie, and it got into Sundance, it was only made for $50,000. And a lot of you might go, well, you're already in show business. So when your movie came in, you know, I mean, I had the leg up. But trust me, like when a movie from Bobcat Goldthwait got submitted to Sundance, I'm sure there's a lot of eyeballs rolling. You know, I'm sure they're going, oh, oh, let's, I can't wait to see Screech's movie too. So, um, what I'm saying here is, um, is really, you know, um, with, with, you know, with, with HD cameras and stuff and, 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 <laughs> and uh, 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 you know, computers, you know, you, anybody really can make a movie now. I mean, I know 50 grand's a lot, but I mean, it's still, it's not as impossible as, as like, you know, Shakes was made for a million four. So, I mean, you know, I think it's accessible to everybody. Well, since we are at the Apple store, we're talking about access to technology. What are the kind of tricks and trades and tools that you use to actually pull these things together on a low budget and to accomplish what you're looking to do? Well, I mean, um, I would say, what, what's the tricks? Yeah, I mean, is there any, I mean, you shoot so fast. I mean, you have to have a routine to actually accomplish what you accomplish on the short period of time that you do. Yeah, well, we, 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 yeah, I do shoot fast. I mean, I don't know what the, the, what, what the rhyme or reason is. I think the difference between myself maybe and other directors is after doing stand-up comedy for so long, um, and I can tell, you can tell I'm a comedian by how funny I've been tonight, but um, it, you get a sense of when something's funny and you can just move on, you know? And, and, I, and I think that's part of the reasons why I move uh, re- relatively faster than most folks. But what about the balance between drama and comedy and the tone? And how did you, I guess, if you know something's funny right off the bat, how do you know that the tone works that drastically when, in a movie like this where it shifts? How do you know? Do you feel that on the set too when it happens? Well, no, I don't actually. That's the harder thing for me. So, so most of the scenes when we're filming them, we try to shoot them a few different ways. Like we'll shoot them like uh, with the, with you know we'll do them where they're really low energy and we're just throwing them away, and then we'll do ones you know all different kinds of tone tone wise actually. So. So when I get back in the editing bay and we, if we cut a scene or whatever, you know, sometimes you're just surprised to see what works, you know, like sometimes it's a sillier version or, or a dead on flat version, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I guess maybe we can open up to a few questions if anyone has any. Hello. Anyone have a question? Hi. A question here in the second row. I was wondering, um, when you write comedy, do you just sit down and decide to write comedy or just do you create characters and let them interact? Um, I, when I write, I write, um, I, I, I gotta tell you, I know it's weird for you maybe that I'm making movies. When I hear myself now pontificating about making film, I, I, uh, I want to punch me in the throat too. So, um, I know it's, you know, it's like the dude from Police Academy now is a goddamn auteur. But, um, the way I write is I actually, uh, I come up, and I heard Albert Brooks say this once, and it really affected me, is that uh, he had written the end of uh, Lost in America first. And, and, I, and I usually come up with the, what, what, what the theme of this movie is going to be, and I usually write the end first. 
So the end of this movie was written first, and I went backwards from there. And then as far as like what the characters are going to say, Kyle was... Uh, uh, I just made a mental note. Whenever I heard someone saying something really asinine and disgusting, I, I kind of just had a greatest hits, you know? Uh, none that I can repeat in a store right now. And, um, and so sometimes it comes out about the characters, me imagining what they would say back and forth. And then sometimes it's the talent, the actors coming up with stuff. Um, so, I mean, that's very rarely do I ever, like, laugh at anything I'm writing. Like, I don't go, you nailed it again, BC. Ha, 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 ha. Because it'd be weird because I'm in a hotel by myself. Um, but I, I'll ruin the other movie for you. Like, the very high road that the, the woman who's the star of the film takes is that, you know, she says, I learned that it's important to lie. It's the living up to the lies that we tell about ourselves is what makes us better people. And... Um, the big high road for her at the end of that movie was, uh, I'll ruin it for you. Uh, well, do you want me to? Or are you going to see it? You're not going to see it. So she, um, the, the most kind thing she can come up with is she explains that she had an abortion. She's lying. She didn't. And the guy goes, oh, I understand. And uh, I did laugh at that. I was going, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> that, the, that the happy ending is someone saying they had an abortion. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Who else? It's right over here, yes. Hi. Um, I just wanted to know uh, how much you had your hand in the uh, final cut and if that differs from what you had envisioned as the final cut of the film. And music, were there any songs that, that you built around a, so uh, a song? Any, any scenes that you built around a song? And what's, what's your next project? Well, thanks. Those are all uh, good questions. Um, <laughs> because I get to answer and talk about me some more, so it's great. No, um... <laughs> the uh, music is a really big part, actually, of, 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 of myself writing. And, and uh, in fact, there's a lot of music in the movie that I played on the set while we were filming the scenes. Uh, there's a lot of music that, that I would play, and, and, um, and, I, and I would write to that very music. And, and I used to hear that Cameron Crowe used to do that on a set. And like someone would do a scene, he goes, that was good, but I was thinking something like this. And then he plays a song, and I go, oh, my God, that's the most pretentious thing I ever heard. Uh, smash cut to me going, I think the scene should go like this. So I actually did it, too. But so uh, there's a lot of music in the movie, and uh, uh, it's, it, the, it's music that's actually from my catalog of stuff I listen to. So that's like a more old guy, classic rock, punk rock, uh, and occasionally some Peggy Lee and um, and then some of my daughter's music, and then some of my girlfriend's music. So it was all incorporated. And the uh, the other question was, what I'm working on next is that I have two things going that I'm trying to do. And and uh, one is a, a a a comedy about some spree killers uh, who uh, who go out and uh, you know that show, my super sweet sixteen. Uh, it's a show on MTV where there's this really obnoxious 16-year-old girl and their parents buy her Mercedes. And it's just always horrible. And they're the worst, worst people in the world, these girls. So it starts with a guy watching that show or a show like that. And he, uh, he kills her. And, uh, and there's this outcast girl. <laughs> there's this little outcast girl who's a, a weirdo. And she goes, did you just kill... <laughs> Amber and, and he go, he doesn't say anything and she just goes cool so uh, and then they go on a killing spree um, 
so that's the next thing. And then I've also been talking, uh, hopefully trying to make a musical out of the Kinks album, Schoolboys in Disgrace. And, and a lot of people are really paranoid. They don't talk about their projects. I don't really worry about anyone stealing them because uh, knock yourself out. You know, if you can get a spree killer comedy off the ground, uh, hats off. <laughs> you know, I'll go see it. <laughs> and you had one other question. Oh, the cutting room. The cutting room, is that's a really good question because once Robin said he'd be in the movie, there was two different production companies that were at the point of not even saying, hey, we'd like to take a meeting. They were actually cutting a check. And both those companies uh, said to me, we really love it, and could you change the scene? Uh, and then I, at that point, they just sounded like a, a teacher from Charlie Brown to me. It was like, wow, 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 wow. You know, I, I was like, I got to get out of this room. And... Uh, and I actually pulled the plug on the movie because I wasn't willing to let them have final cut or willing to hear their notes, which one of them was so asinine. In the movie, the kid eats a pop brownie. And he wanted that removed. That is the mildest thing. This, in this movie, Robin Williams is nude, okay? So, and I only bring that up is because the movie's so weird. When it was at Sundance, no one mentioned that. No one said, hey, did I see Mork's penis? You know, so... Uh, and by the way, he showed up and he had Manscaped, so he was like, he was all, I go, dude, you just cost me the bear audience, you know, so, um, uh, he said that the woman who shaved him got tar carpal tunnel in the middle of it. Um, I know that we don't want to let that out, but I honestly know that there's weirder stuff in the movie. It was just like, people were just like fine with it at Sundance, like that was just an afterthought. Yeah, all right. So. For the record, I got nude that day too. Yeah, you want to make sure your actors are comfortable, right? No, I really did. Because I, 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 I was in this, we were in this locked off uh, uh, swimming pool. Sure. Yeah, I nuded it up. I was like looking around. I go, look, I, I feel like these people are family, you know, and I, I just jumped off the diving board nude, and it was really freeing. It was awesome. I have a question. You, you mentioned uh, your, your father, and so you're writing this movie. And uh, how does fatherhood, I guess, influence how you perceive Lance? Or does it at all? Does it influence you? And I guess, how do you reconcile you know, being a father of a teenager? Well, I mean, my, my daughter's 22. And, okay. and um, you know, when she was growing up, uh, my biggest concern was, uh, I, and, it, and it really happens in Los Angeles a lot, a lot of parents are really concerned with being the cool parent or being uh, the kid's friend. And I had no interest in being my daughter's friend when she was growing up. I really just wanted to be a dad, you know, and hopefully, a, a, okay, a good dad. And uh, the byproduct of that is that my daughter is my friend now. Like, she just sent me a text saying, you're my best friend, dad. So it's pretty nice. But when her and I were at Sundance with the first movie, there's the act of bestiality, which, by the way, is just off camera. And people were shocked, which I find really shocking that anyone's shocked, you know what I'm saying? Like... As a comedian, you know, I try to shock people, and now, like, how am I going to shock this generation? Because by the time most people are, are 10 years old, they've already seen two girls in one cup. So, uh, uh, so it, it is kind of hard. So we were watching the movie, and the scene starts, and this woman was trying to walk out, and she's grabbing her friend going, come on, let's go. And then that woman stayed, and she talked her into the movie, and about an hour into the movie, that same woman who was trying to walk out started crying. And my daughter goes, look at your friend now. And I went and I looked at the lady. And then uh, my daughter goes, yeah, you cry, bitch. You cry. <laughs> so as far as like being a dad, how did it influence me? I know this sounds like I'm being... Um, 
here's the thing. In Hollywood, when they make an R-rated comedy, they're not making it for an adult. When I was a kid, they would make an R-rated movie, and it was for adults. Like, Woody Allen would make a movie, and I would have to go to this Woody Allen movie, and he's talking about Kafka, and I don't know what Kafka was, so I'd have to go home and find out what Kafka was. Now, they make an R-rated movie, and they really are making it for 12- and 13-year-old boys. And I truly think teenagers are idiots, and I have no interest in entertaining them. I really do. I think there's plenty of robot movies and all this bullshit. And so, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, and um, I don't claim to be an intellectual, but I do claim to make movies from a middle-aged guy's perspective. And um, I, uh, I hope uh, folks find it, and I hope they like it. But I honestly think if you play Guitar Hero and, and you're really good at it, you're going to be confused by this movie. <laughs> Awesome. We have another question yes. here in the okay, third okay, row. Yes. I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you look for in actors uh, when you're casting, doing the supporting roles in your films? Well, my immediate response is to be really snarky and say anyone that doesn't act like me. Uh, <laughs> but like, it really is about, like, I'm getting better at it. It's like when you see something and it just seems realistic, you know what I mean? Like when someone just, that, then you go, oh, that's the person, you know, and... and, and and um, uh, my girlfriend has a lot to do with the casting. She's got a better uh, 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 idea, you know, like um, she, she's good. But the, in this movie, like Daryl and, and Alexi was like, I said, yeah, that's her. You know, you know, what's funny is when you and I can't blame people, but when you make a, a, a movie and you're white, um, they only send in white people. Um, and I said, you know, let's mix it up. And um, Sarah, that's my girlfriend, came up with the idea of Henry Simmons as the, you know, there's a love triangle going on. And I thought, man, that's awesome. Like, if I liked a girl and she liked Henry Simmons, I, I would kill myself. I, I would just go, there's no way. I don't have a shot in hell. And as much as I'm a Woody Allen fan, I hope if I can keep making movies, I don't populate it with this just weird white world, you know? Because I think in a high school, obviously, there would be other folks in other uh, races and stuff, you know? else I'll jump in then uh how does directing influence your comedy your stand-up and vice versa well I'm gonna say something that sounds brutally honest but when you're a nightclub comedian you're trying to entertain the dumbest person in the room because that's the person that's gonna get drunk and heckle so um you you know I mean you end up kind of dumbing it down and and the luxury of if you, you make a movie you don't have to dumb it down because that person just sits in a movie and talks a lot and texts and then eventually gets bored and leaves, you know? So the knuckleheads get thinned out. <laughs> There's no heckling in a movie. Well, there is, but, but I don't have to hear, hear it. <laughs> Did you see Funny People? No, I haven't. No. Okay, well, that takes away like, my next question. Oh, well, what's your next question? I gotta lie. No, it was just, it was just about uh, how, uh, you know, um, I guess as far as like the depiction cause of comics in crisis or whatever, uh, you know, kind of when you are trying to kind of change your, your, uh, your direction in your career and uh, try new things and, and see, I was going to kind of ask what your take on that. The well, I will say this, like, like I just got done doing eight cities in 10 days as a comedian. And, um, and I shot it because I thought it'd be interesting because it was really coming from the, this thing about how I hate doing stand-up comedy. And then in the middle of it, I realized that I don't hate stand-up comedy. I just hated the persona that I came up with. 
So in the middle of the tour, I kind of dropped the persona and tried to do comedy, and um, it didn't go well. No, um, it actually was refreshing, you know. All of a sudden, I was interested in performing, and I had a good time. And there's still, you know, when you're in Des Moines, there's going to be some people going, do the voice. Um, <laughs> talk like Grover. But um, uh, it was really kind of this thing that I, I finally realized that I have to do, you know, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and it was scary, you know. So... So, um, Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> Who else? Right in the front. <clears throat> I bought two questions. Um, did you ever do anything or work with Andrew Dice Clay, and what are your best memories of the Police Academy films? Uh, I haven't worked with Dice Clay, but I did see him in a supermarket two weeks ago in Los Angeles. He was shopping. He wasn't bagging. Um... <laughs> Oh, snap a do. I took the dice man down a couple notches. Hmm. <laughs> I think the reality show he did with Donald Trump uh, took him down a couple notches. Um, and then um, what was my fondest memory of Police Academy? Um, I'd have to say crapping up Steve Gutenberg's trailer. Because <laughs> he said that we could all use it. You want to elaborate on that at all? Oh, no, like <laughs> Gutenberg had a big trailer, and we didn't. And uh, he's like, guys, that's for all of us. And I was like, really? So, like, he would get out of work, and, and I'd be laying nude in his bed, or um, I'd go to the bathroom in his room, and I would use the bathroom, oh. but, and then uh, not flush, and then he'd yeah. come running to the set. So I don't know if we really needed to elaborate on that. Okay. But um, my fondest memories of Police Academy is actually uh, Tim Kazarinski, who played the little guy that I always beat up, was... Uh, Became my friend, and uh, so that's my fondest memory. There's a gentleman in the back there. I actually just like to pick the people that are furthest apart, so he has to run. You mentioned writing a lot of scripts for a while for no reason. Now, do you know which, like, do you come up with the idea and then think, I want to film that, I'm going to write it and then make it? Or are you writing scripts and then when it's done, you go, this one I'll actually make? Yeah, that's where I'm at now. I actually, I actually write movies just to get them out of me. And then um, if it makes sense, then I try to go forward with it. But like if I hand it out to people I trust and they're scratching their head, I go, okay, maybe, uh, maybe Easter Dad needs another rewrite. Um, uh, I wrote a movie about a bitter comedian who gets stuck writing this piece of crap movie called Easter Dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the reason I kind of backed away from it, it seems like it's, it touches on some of the same things, funny people. But I haven't abandoned it entirely. I'll probably go back to Easter Dad someday. And I just probably didn't want another dad movie. <laughs> okay, a question in the front. Oh, right oh, that moment when you uh, decided that you wanted to dispense with your the, the character that you yeah. developed... What was it like being on stage and that moment where you just dropped it? And what was it, their reaction to it? Well, it was, uh, I did it, I just started doing it. So I went up in Nashville and I just said, hey, look, man, I've been doing that for so many years and you've got to be really tired of it. You know, if I came out for 45 minutes and went, ah, you know, I just was done, you know. So uh, in Nashville, it actually went very well. And then when I went on to uh, Des Moines, there was just an audible gasp. Like, they were, like, going, you know, they were, like, we didn't pay to see this, you know. Uh, 
when Michael Winslow was here, he made the helicopter noises. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was definitely a weird vibe, but I have to keep going forward with it and stuff, you know, because if I don't, I, I really won't enjoy doing stand-up. And, and I really do stand-up so I can keep making indie movies. And often people ask me, you know, would you do a studio movie? And um, I really don't have that desire because, you know, as I said uh, yesterday in the New York Times, no, as I said in the Times, it said that, um, you know, my early career resembles the end of most people's career. You know what I mean? Like, towards the end, you start selling out and doing really crappy movies. And that's where I started. So uh, I hope I can keep being on this trajectory where I'm just making small indie movies that are personal. And uh, certainly I hope people like them. But I have no delusions when I sit down and make a movie like this where I'm going, this is going this is <laughs> to be a giant blockbuster. I mean, I, I know that I'm trying to uh, appeal to people who have my similar taste. And as I say this, you know, the reality of it is in a year I'll be shooting <laughs> Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 or something. But... Um, but I, I hope to be sincere and, and stay on this path I'm on and stay off of reality shows. Robin is a guy who's gotten a lot of crap over the years for taking kind of paycheck roles or whatever they call them or, you know, being blamed for that. Now, we can say maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but, you know, he takes a film like this. I mean, this is like, this is a, a major departure for him. I and mean, we've talked about how you kind of got to d you develop the character with him, but... I mean, how did you, did you have to have to, I guess, what was his sense of taking on this role? Why, why do you think he did it? I think it was like he really, really did like uh, Sleeping Dogs Lie a lot. You know, he, he really uh, liked it. And Robin hadn't seen this movie until we were at Sundance. And in the, at the end of the screening, he reached over and he held my hand and he was crying. And he said, thanks for putting me in your movie. Yeah. And, um, and that was pretty... Uh, it was really awesome. It was also scary because he was crying. I thought, <laughs> he was mad. Like, you ruined my career. Uh, uh, I will say this, you know, he truly is. Um, I'm not going out on a limb. You know, Robin's one of the best actors in the world. And, um, and we are best friends. But, like, the night before filming, I was like, is he really going to listen to me? Am I going to say, hey, let's do one where we just do it really uh, quiet? And, and he's going to say, I have an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> you were in Police Academy 2, 3, and 4. We're going to do it my way, Bob Scratch Goldfarb. But, um, but that wasn't the way it worked. It actually worked the other way where, where um, I think like lots of directors do a take and then they do one. They say, okay, Robin, go crazy. And then they go in the editing room and they cut a performance out of it. And he and I were on the same page. It was none of that. So the script was constantly evolving and things were changing but we were always working uh, simpatico, you know. We were always like in sync with each other. It's just actors are so are, are, are less and less, I guess, um, interested or amenable to doing just risky roles anymore, especially you know mainstream actors. And uh, do you think that this maybe opened up a, a new door for Robin to pursue? Because I knew he didn't shrink. He was in this new Kevin Spacey right. film, which just opened a couple weeks ago, which he's playing. He plays a big name actor who has a bit of a crisis. And so, do you think uh, this might have? Influenced it. I think like like really kind of like myself and the character in the movie. Uh, we're middle aged guys who said I'm not going to do things that I don't enjoy doing, and 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 I think that's what had a lot to do with it. But um, you know, I I I think that that had a lot to do with it. And and Robin did say that making this movie was the safest he ever felt making a movie. So, so um, 
that was uh, that was all pretty special. Cool. Anyone else? Anyone else? This guy in the back here. Yeah. Do you have any uh, perspective to share? Either working on this project, you made mention of a couple of the production companies that wanted things a certain way, and then obviously you wound up with the one you wanted, or maybe just career in general. I, d I don't want to use the word advice, <laughs> but uh, you know, for somebody else who's making their way, getting started, etc., have there been recently um, things that have surprised you or um, frustrated you? Just a little bit of, um, you know, the reality of, of where you are in the journey or, or just something you would share with somebody of like, you know, I never expected this, to, something like that. Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, these movies exceeded my expectations because I truly, the first one, I never thought I'd see it with a live audience. So the fact that I went to Sundance and then I traveled all around the world exceeded my expectations. And um, so so these movies really do exceed my expectations, but... The only thing I really would like to say to people is, um, you know, um, what what happened to me was that I would always sit down and write and I'd try to second guess like how I could get this movie made or sold or write it for me or write it for somebody else. And I stopped that. I just started writing what came out of me. And then the other thing is, is uh, if I can give you any advice, which, you know, what do I know? Um, all those, all, you know, that whole that whole thing that's always saying this isn't enough, this isn't good enough, this won't work. Just really get rid of that, and 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 um, know that when you write something, most people aren't going to like it. You know, surround yourself with people that you have similar tastes, so so uh, so they they support you. You know, but I used to think that like every line had to be perfect in a screenplay, and what happens is you just you you end up on a hamster wheel. You know. It's just like uh, figure out what the end of the movie is and, and write towards that, you know. And I always, it makes my skin crawl when I'm watching a comedy and every single person talks in a punchline. Um, that's not reality. That's two and a half men, you know, um, I, I, <laughs> which I'm sure there's a good reason that exists, but um, <laughs> certainly doesn't entertain me. I'm sure it sells a lot of soap. <laughs> Anyone else? Well, I have to say, you guys were delightful. This was very weird. Uh, I enjoyed uh, how polite you were. And, uh, and like I said, um, I know they said that you're not supposed to uh, videotape, but if you do want to say hello, I, I certainly will take pictures. I'm not above that. It's, it's much better than being at a boat show with David Hasselhoff. So uh, uh, I'm making myself available to say hello. And uh, the movie's available on uh, Apple and VOD, and it opens here in New York on the 21st of August. Fantastic. Thank Thanks, you very guys. much, Bobcat. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it. Once again, we want to thank Bobcat and Stu. Uh, you've been a great audience. The film is World's Greatest Dad. Check it out, and have a great night.